0: It's time for our kids' corner right now, and as they're making their way forward here, I just want to clarify something from our reading here. When we're to kind of hope that burning coals are piled on somebody's head, that sounds like we want to light their hair on fire or something like that. That's kind of what I often thought that meant when I was little, but it turns out that it's kind of a biblical expression to cause Somebody to be embarrassed by their behavior. You know, when we're embarrassed, we kind of blush and sweat. Anyway, uh, uh, that should be the result of what we do in other people when they behave badly. How about that? So now, (laughs) that said, (laughs) have you ever had to apologize to somebody? Say you're sorry. Mm, Is that easy to do? Uh, Is it? Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) There seems to be a little disagreement going on up here, but um, what are some things, like, first of all, like when you say you're sorry, does that mean that it's like automatically good enough then and you can just move on and forget about it? Well, but if you're sorry, shouldn't that be the way it is? Hmm. (laughs) That's kind of a challenging question, isn't it? And doesn't some of it kind of depend on what somebody did? Like, so, for example, there are things that happen that are just accidents. If something's just an accident and somebody's very sorry, you know, that's kind of a little different than the on-purposes, right, where somebody's really picking on you and then they say, well, I'm sorry, you know, right? So actually, I have a story about that that I wanted to share with you. See, when I was your age, actually I was in third grade when this happened, there was a little girl in my class who lived in an orphanage near where we were living. That means that she didn't live with her mom and dad or parents. Um, I'm not sure what happened to them. I know her mom had died. But anyway, Dawn brought a beautiful vase to school that was a gift from, for her from her mother, And, well, me and some of the other boys had a super ball in there. You know what a super ball is? Like a rubber ball that really bounces when, well, anyway, our ball hit Dawn's vase and broke it. And, actually, I hit Dawn's vase and broke it. And I was really, really sorry. And Dawn, of course, cried and, you know. Um, I went home and I tried to glue her vase back together and I looked for one like it, but I just couldn't find another one to replace it. But anyway, here's the thing. Sometimes, you know, when things like that happen, they actually provide an opportunity. You see, Dawn learned that I really did care about what happened and believe it or not, Before the vase incident, Dawn and I were just peers. We just went to the same class together. That was it. But after that, we actually became good friends. And I went to visit her, you know, in the orphanage sometimes. And we played together sometimes. Um, So here's my point. If we do forgiveness right, sometimes it can actually make a relationship better than it was before there was a problem even. What do you think about that idea? Hmm. Hmm. That's kind of tough. You know, one last idea I want to leave you guys with, and then i got to kind of talk to the big people here, right? You know, um, you know, you do realize that in life, when, you, when you're young, your mistakes tend to be small. But the older you get, the, you know, like for example, there's a big difference between crashing your big wheel and crashing the family car, right? <laughs> okay. So you know that the mistakes are going to get bigger, and you know that they're going to happen, right? Because we've talked about this before, it's surely going to happen that we hurt and offend other people, right? So let's uh, take those and turn them into an opportunity for better relationship, okay? All right, let me talk to the big people here. (laughs) So, So, Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So, you know, it's, Hard to love people the way Jesus calls us to love in the readings that we've heard. Um, it's And especially, I mean, it's hard enough to love people just in traffic, you know? You see how they drive out there. But, you know, much less the people that are specifically targeting you, right? It takes faith. It takes stepping out in faith to grow into the ability to to a love like this. And, you know, that faith, it's kind of a funny thing. Jesus said if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, well, a mustard seed is almost microscopic small. It's the tiniest of all seeds. But if you had that much faith, you could say to a mountain, mountain move and the mountain would move. And, you know, I know I've used this example before. But it's one that I think is good and it bears repeating. And it goes like this Jesus isn't interested in us rearranging the geography of the land, but rather developing faith that actually accomplishes good fruit here. You know, can a person run a marathon? Well, sure, people do it. But can you do it? Could you go and do it this afternoon? I know I've done it before, but I know if I did it right now, or tried, I'd probably die trying with my lack of strength and stamina that comes with age. But it doesn't mean that it's impossible. I could get in shape and do it. And this is what we're called to do with our faith. Get our faith in shape so that it can actually move... Remove the impediments in our lives. Move the things out of the way that stop us from getting where we want to be. But we're kind of by nature lazy people, and exercise isn't any fun, right? And I count myself in that group, too. But by the way, if we water down Christianity and the message, we miss this. You know, I'm I'm not up here preaching messages on offense because I believe that there are a lot of really direly offended people sitting out there. But for this reason, if it's not offense, it's something else, but step out in faith and don't miss God and his work in your life there. That's my experience with it, and it's brought me closer in and I, I don't want people to miss that. That's all. Right? Because I personally know it, because I know that these areas have formed the greatest connection that I've had with God, I'd love for you to have that too. That's why. So we want revival, we say, but this is revival. This is what it looks like. It looks like doing the hard things in faith. It's stepping out in faith. So now I have another story I want to share, and this is a time that, this is actually a recent time, less than a year ago, and I was greatly offended. You see, we were invited to go to a dinner uh, to support a missionary friend of ours, and the dinner was rather expensive. It cost, you know, because it was to support the missionary. So I paid, and I ended up going solo. I, I think Lisa had to stay home with the guys that night. But I got to the restaurant where the meal was going to be served. and There was a table there with many of my friends at it, and there were two seats available at that table, and I wanted to take one of those seats. And One of the people in the group said, no, you can't sit there. You know, you're, you're, you're going to sit over here with my teenage son and his pregnant girlfriend and I thought I didn't want to come here. I wanted to associate with people my age, right, and you know, and uh, there was no getting around it. She was adamant. Those those chairs, that wasn't my seat. And I ended up sitting with the kids and no one came and sat in those two chairs and I sort of thought, What was the point? You know, and I was greatly offended. And so, what should I do? What could I do? You see, the first thing I needed to do was try and get an understanding of what exactly happened here. You know, it's sometimes important to be able to confront offense. And I want to put it that way because I'm not talking about going and confronting people necessarily here. So I went to Karen and I said, I was very offended. I didn't say, you offended me, right? I was very offended. I want to understand why it was so important that I not sit in those two seats here's the backstory that I didn't know. There were two other people that were on the fence, and they weren't going to come, and they weren't going to come because they didn't know anybody that was going to be there, and she promised to reserve two chairs for them. She put me with the kids because I work with kids, and after all, she thought that if anybody sat with the kids and would enjoy doing that, well, certainly it would be Vaughn. It wasn't meant to be an offense at all. Well, it turned out the other people were just probably looking for an excuse not to come and never showed up, you know. Um, But here's my point. How many of us would have... And this is becoming a growing problem, I think, in an era when people readily tell you that they're offended with you. How many of us would be inclined to approach somebody and say, hey, this situation really hurt me. That offended me. But you know, if we don't do it, what happens? We go, yeah, right? Or we, we remain angry. We don't let it go. We we tend to think of Karen as that kind of person, you know. It's sort of like the often lampooned story of your wife. You know she's angry, but you're, and you're supposed to know why, but you don't know why, right? Um, no offense on that. Never happens at our house, but <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, So what does the Bible say? The Bible actually says to go and ask, to go and confront in situations like that. And if you're not comfortable to do it, take a brother along that is comfortable to do. Take wise counsel with you. And again, the issue here isn't making sure the other person knows that they hurt you. And it's not so much calling them out But it's to get an understanding. Had I never talked to Karen, I'd have remained bitter, and she wouldn't have had any idea why. How about that? You know, the Bible has a lot of prescription for how to handle offense. Jesus didn't just let us out there in the dark when he said, forgive offense. He said, when you're offended, seek forgiveness. When you're the one that has offended, Seek forgiveness. Apologize quickly. And when someone seeks your forgiveness, offer it quickly. Allow the relationship to heal. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, on your offense. So we might be wondering if all this apology and forgiveness really works. You know, Because we've all had that experience, we can all remember when we were kids, you know, being instructed to say you're sorry, and we go, well, I'm sorry. And that, for some reason, isn't good enough. (laughs) Well, you know, it's not because it takes time, and it's a process, and it requires growing into a new relationship with that person. Um, Many victims believe that the offender isn't sorry enough. And many offenders believe that sorry just won't satisfy, so they don't seek forgiveness at all. Meanwhile, the victim is certain that the offender isn't sorry, and well, I'm certainly not going to offer forgiveness if he's not going to apologize. And this becomes a vicious cycle, and of course, the vicious cycle is Satan's playground. It's where our jar gets shaken, you know, from the ant analogy a couple weeks ago. By the way, how can you tell if it's Satan talking to you or the Holy Spirit? Here's how. If it's Satan, Satan's message to you is they're not sorry. You don't need to offer forgiveness. You know, or likewise, if you're the one in the wrong, it's just shame. You ought to be embarrassed. I wouldn't forgive you if I were them. But the Holy Spirit, by contrast, offers a different message, and it's one of restoration. You know you need to make this right. You know it can't stay like this. Make it right. Restorative justice is the idea that when a criminal offense occurs, Healing helps everyone to move on. Lock him up and throw away the key sounds good, but it doesn't work in practicality. In other words, sooner or later, the offender is getting out of jail. And likely, when he does, he's coming back to a neighborhood near you. Interestingly, most of the time, an apology is all that the victim really wants. Two thirds of victims of personal crimes just want to know that they're a- they just want their attacker to know that they were really hurt and they just want to know that he's really sorry. That's, that's amazing. You know, if an apology can cover a crime against you as a person, right? I can scarcely imagine a greater personal violation than than a crime, a personal crime against me, right? Interestingly, 80% of victims who take part in the restorative justice process report feeling satisfied. They feel that justice has been served in their case, compared to only 45% when their offender is just incarcerated. And Even the offender feels that justice has occurred at a higher rate. How about this? 55% of people that merely do time believe at the end of their sentence that they've served justice. But 90% who take part in restorative justice feel that justice has served the victim. Now, how about that? Offenders who participate in restorative justice are more than twice as likely to complete restitution and three times more likely not to reoffend, perhaps because restorative justice process has helped the offender himself heal, and the offender himself may need to heal. Not only that. But how about this? This is where it gets really wild, I think. Sixty percent of victims report feeling free of victimization and secure that it won't happen to them again, even though they know their offender is getting out of jail early for participating in this program. Not only do they feel it won't happen to them again by their offender, they feel that they won't be victimized again by anyone. Compare that with a mere 10% who don't participate in restorative justice. That is, only 10% of those whose offender remains incarcerated believe that it won't happen to them again. So tell me there's nothing in the forgiveness process. I know I need to land the plane here soon, but I have a story on this. You see, a number of years ago... um, I joined a prison ministry called Justice and Mercy down in Lancaster. We funded our organization by having guest speakers come and Two of those people that came to come were these guys. You see, one was a man who was in his mid 40s when this happened. His wife got cancer and died and they had a sixteen year old son, their only child, and the boy had just got his driver 's license and Uh, Asked his dad, you know, told his dad, you know, I'd like to drive to mom's funeral by myself in my car. And his father agreed. While the son was at the gas station filling up his tank, someone killed him for the $20 in his wallet. The guy that did it was apprehended, put in jail. But father believed that God told him You no longer have a son, and that man needs a father. So he began to write to this guy in prison and eventually asked if they could visit in prison. He found out that this man didn't really have a family that came to see him. A few years went by, and he learned that the man was coming up for parole. And he actually went and made the case to the parole board to release the man early, that they' had forgiven each other, become friends, that the father would find him a place to live. And he did. And the two of these guys spent 20 years traveling the United States with a simple message: the power of the Holy Spirit to help you love what you consider unlovable. The bottom line here, though, offense offenses happen what you do with it is now your responsibility. At what point does my offense become worse than the original offense against me if I choose to hold on to this? You know, not so far away from us, also down in Lancaster County, and a few up here in Kutztown are Amish. And the Amish have a a deal with this. Um, 40 days Now, we all know about the ban or shunning, but I don't think it works the way most of us think it does. It goes kind of like this. If I'm an Amish man and I've offended somebody, I confess that to the bishop or the pastor of my church, and then I leave for 40 days, kind of like Lent. I have 40 days to reconcile myself, repent, change And in 40 days, I can ask to rejoin the church. And the answer will be yes, if I ask. But following that 40 days, it has now become a bigger sin to remember what I did. That's hard. But maybe it's possible. It's not fair, for sure. My question to you, and the end here is near, (laughs) um, when is it time to say enough is enough and move toward healing? Muster the faith to get the ball rolling. If you're struggling, come see me. See me after the service today or whenever you're ready. Thank you.